We're going to continue in our series today, even though it's Easter Sunday. Um, I'm going to continue with our series on Revelation. It's going to be, as one person, a friend of mine this week called it, a Revelation New Jerusalem Easter mashup. That was good. This is week 49. We have two sermons left after this on Revelation, and then we'll start the book of Joshua. But uh, this one I titled, You Will Be Satisfied. So Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So young people have coined a very clever term these days for someone who has a relentless pursuit of a desire of something or someone. They call them thirsty. And usually when a young person under 30 calls you thirsty, it's not a good thing. You're thirsty. Well, yeah, it's hot. That's not what they mean. This label of being thirsty implies that you're a person who goes to great lengths, even if it's risky or embarrassing, to satisfy your craving. But isn't it a little bit hypocritical for one person to single out another person as thirsty when in fact all of us are thirsty and hungry for something? This universal thirst and this universal hunger, it stems from this intense yearning. And most people don't even realize this. Even though they're searching to quench their thirst with something in this world, what they're really trying to quench is this spiritual craving that every person has. It's something that we all desperately seek. Even if you don't believe in God, you desperately seek it. You just don't know it. And we all as humans in this world, we long for true satisfaction a sense of purpose. We want success or we want peace of mind in our lives. And our profound desire for this fulfillment drives us to explore every corner, leaving no stone unturned in our pursuit. Listen, it's not wrong or sinful to yearn for satisfaction. After all, that's how God made us. Here's the problem. This world that you live in, that we live in, is filled with enticing propositions, filled with false promises that will never satisfy. They'll only leave you hungrier and thirstier. The enticements of success, religious achievement, material possessions, philosophical wisdom, influential power, Addiction, even the solace of human connections, they all whisper tantalizing promises of satisfaction. But just ask yourself, what has actually been your experience with these things? Have these things ever truly, fully quenched your hunger and your thirst? Have they ever really provided you that enduring peace and purpose that your heart so deeply crave? Or... Every morning when you get up, are you still searching just a little bit, hoping maybe something does get a little better? Followers of Jesus know something the rest of the world doesn't know, that Jesus only is the one who can satisfy every hunger and every thirst. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. 
Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12. You guys remember what 12 is? It's a number symbolizing the perfection of God's people. The 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. 12 months, 12 fruit. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light nor uh, of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. That's a good passage. Now, I'm not going to go into full detail of what everything means in this because there's something that just really hit me this week as I was studying. Let's look at the history of this, okay? I want you to see that we're going to start off with a little history about paradise being spoiled. You know, doesn't the fruit of that tree sound delicious? Can you imagine how good the water in that river is going to be? See, John's vision in Revelation chapter 22, particularly in verses 1 through 5, would have immediately transported his first century Jewish Christian readers right back to the book of Genesis. I'm going to read you the passage that they would see here in their ears as they were reading this. It's Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. The Lord God planted a, planted a garden in Eden. In the east, there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided, becoming four rivers. The first was Pishon, flowing around the whole land of Havilah, where, the, where, where there is gold. The gold that, of that land is good, Bedlam. And oxenstone are there. The second river is the Gihon. It flowed around the whole land of Cush. The third river is the Tigris, flowing east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. So you see the similarities about the tree of life and a river. Eden was a paradise. It was designed to satisfy every hunger and thirst by enjoying all of God's creation and also living in perfect harmony with him. Eden had everything from food to companionship to pleasure that Adam and Eve would ever need to live satisfied and to flourish. And the two life-giving elements that were in the Garden of Eden are this tree of life and this river flowing through the garden to the rest of the world. And God entrusted Adam and Eve with overseeing this beautiful garden and all of creation to care for it, but above all else, enjoy it to its fullest. And as they were living in the Garden of Eden, they had one simple daily choice. The Lord God took Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God commanded him, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For on the day you, day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Adam and Eve did have this daily choice, though, between the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know the story. The choice was between really being satisfied in the relationship with God and his creation, or the other choice was to believe the lies of the serpent. That was their choice every day. By remaining faithful to their creator, <clears throat> they would have the opportunity to live eternally in harmony with God and creation. But Satan promised they could have more than that. 
They could be just like God if they just simply ate the forbidden fruit. And what happened? They listened to his lies and they became discontent. Have you ever been discontent in your life? Or is it, or is it just me? They became thirsty for more. They chose desire, betrayal, and rebellion over faithfulness and the calling God had given them to take care of creation. They were so thirsty, so fearful they were missing out on something more, they betrayed their creator. Listen, have you ever been betrayed or rejected by someone who you had proven your love and loyalty to for years? Maybe they chose a new relationship or a new allegiance with someone or something who promised them the world, but they had no history of credibility. This is what Adam and Eve did to God. And the results were a torrent of dire consequences for them and the creation they were supposed to oversee. So that's the history of our passage. I want to look at the theology of what's going on in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. We see paradise is restored. This is a great verse in Corinthians. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became what? A life-giving spirit. The last Adam, in case you haven't figured it out yet, is Jesus. So there's three elements, right? We have these two trees and then the river of life. They're all powerful metaphors from Genesis that will actually help us interpret Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 through 5. You cannot understand Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 through 5, without first understanding Genesis chapter 2 that I just read to you. That's why I went through the trouble of doing it. Both passages create a beautiful theological expression of how Jesus' death, and his resurrection reverses all the damage that Adam and Eve did. First, let's talk about that tree of good and evil. The first tree of knowledge of good and evil is notably absent in our passage in Revelation 22. Did you see that? And rightfully so. Do you know why, church? Because it has no place. It doesn't belong. The tree of knowledge of good and evil symbolizes human depravity, temptation, and the origins of our fallen nature. It also represents this daily continuous struggle we're so familiar with between human desire and our need for redemption through God's grace. This too represents everything that is wrong with the world. It represents everything that entices humanity to choose worldly offerings over God's divine gifts. It epitomizes, listen to me, every deception Every temptation, every distraction used by Satan to lure us into disloyalty and unfaithfulness. It reveals our innate desire for and self-determination. It echoes the temptations that Adam and Eve faced when they succumbed, when they chose to satisfy their hunger with the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And despite being the sole forbidden fruit in Eden, its presence... Now, some people think, well, why did God even put it there? It seems so cruel. Actually, it's an act of love. All right, Joe, how are you going to make that happen? Watch. (laughs) You know what God did? Love is never compelled. God granted Adam and Eve the free will that we all want, that we all fight for. We don't even like it when we're young when our parents tell us what to do. God gave Adam and Eve free will. He gave me free will. I'm not saying kids say that, but I could hear it. That's what I hear. 
And just as we often do, you know what they did with that free will? They used it for unfaithfulness and selfishness. Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the fruit of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore God sent him out of the garden. Because of their thirst to be like God, the serpent's lies became to them as choice morsels they hoped would satisfy. And consequently, when they ate, they faced severe repercussions for partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they lost access to the two most vital life-giving components in paradise, the tree of life, the relationship with God himself, and the river. Now, this may seem punitive. Come on, it was just one mistake. But the fact that God prevented them from continuing to eat of the tree of life, this too is love. Because of their act of sin, they were horribly scarred. It would have been horrifying for them to become immortal in their sickness, in their sinfulness, and in their rebellious condition, just like Satan and his angels are today. Humanity would have inherited their same eternal suffering and hatred of righteousness, their hatred of God, their hatred of truth and his creation. Who wants that? God was not going to let Adam and Eve be forever separated from him. So this set in motion his plan for Jesus, the last Adam. Jesus would redeem us, heal us, satisfy us and restore our connection to the tree of life and the river of life that nourishes it. But now we see this other tree, this tree of life, which is, of course, is Jesus. We see the tree of life both at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis and at the end in Revelation 22. In Genesis, the fruit from the tree of life was the daily source of power that allowed Adam and Eve to live forever without fear of dying. And in Revelation, the fruit from the tree of life is again the source of nourishment. And its leaves bring healing to the nations. All right, a little bonus for you theological geeks. You ready? Do you remember how Adam and Eve tried to use fig leaves to conceal their sin? These leaves don't conceal. They heal. It's not an accident. Isn't the scriptures beautiful? Life and healing. These are the things that Jesus says he does for us. Remember this promise from John chapter 14, verse 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And later in John's gospel, Jesus also says he is our source of nourishment and healing and spiritual growth that brings life. He said this when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Probably 12 kinds of fruit. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. You understand in the first century world, bread, obviously it meant bread, but it also meant any type of food that kept you alive. Give us this day our daily bread. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not what? Thirst. Jesus at the tree of life. By defeating death through the cross and what we celebrate today, his resurrection, now provides once again the fruit needed for eternal life. Jesus at the tree of life provides the fruit that satisfies your desire for true purpose, which is to be restored to the Father. 
Jesus as the tree of life provides the healing that you, even if you don't realize it, so desperately desire and desperately need. But Jesus is also that river of living water. In Genesis, that river nourished the entire garden and every tree, including that most important tree, the tree of life. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, this tree of life grows all around the river of living water, flowing from where? The throne of the Lamb, Jesus. And we know throughout the New Testament that Jesus taught what? That he was the source of living water. We'll visit that more later in our personal section. But together, this tree of life and the living water are the power of God to redeem creation to be even better than it was for Adam and Eve. Together, this tree of life and the living water are the heart of the new Eden. Right in the heart of the city of God, New Jerusalem, that we studied last week. Together, this tree of life and the living water will satisfy every hunger and every thirst without fail forever. Together, this tree of life and the living water, they represent our Jesus who conquered death through the cross and his resurrection. So this is the personal section this week, satisfied in paradise. And this was the sermon preview. Whether they admit it or not, everyone in this world is hungry and thirsty for something only Jesus can satisfy. You know, the world says it has water that will satisfy your thirst. But that water will never satisfy no matter how often you drink. But yet we still go back to that filthy well, don't we? Time after time after time. Aren't you tired of that? The world says it has fruit that will satisfy your hunger. But it's always a poisonous tree that brings sickness and death. Yet just like Adam and Eve, every human has chosen and been disappointed by the world's water and the world's fruit over and over and over. Don't you get tired of drinking the same water every day? Water that never quenches your thirst? Don't you get tired of eating fruit from the trees that not only never satisfy, but also make you sick and end in death? You know, there's a familiar story that Jesus was involved in that we learn about from the Gospel of John, the same author of Revelation. It's the Samaritan woman who went to the well every day in the heat of the day to get water. It's a powerful example of what I'm talking about here. And you know, once Jesus met with her and taught her about living water, it changed her life. It's in John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. As a Samaritan woman, she was only allowed to draw water during the worst part of the day. After everybody else had been and the water that might have gone into the well overnight was dirty and contaminated. It was scorching hot, but she needed the water. So she had to make this difficult trip to the well each day. She had no choice. She needed water to live, and without it, she would die. It had to be so old, going to that well at the worst time to get the worst water every day. But Jesus taught her she also had a spiritual thirst. 
And if she drank the water he provided, she would never be thirsty again. That day, the woman at the well had her thirst quenched. Her desires satisfied by the living water, and so can you. This is the same river of life, the same living water that flows from the throne of God into the river of life in Revelation chapter 22. The tree of life grows alongside and around that river, providing the faithful with the fruit for eternal life and leaves that heal. Do you remember her prayer? I love it. Sir, give me this water. Why? So that I will not be thirsty or have to come to this stupid well again. I'm tired of the trip. I'm tired of going back. I'm tired of them telling me, no, the water's fine and it sucks every day. I'm tired of the heat. I'm tired of people's dirty looks. I'm tired of destroying my life. I'm tired of burning it to the ground because this thing never satisfies my thirst. I know some of you here today resonate so passionately with her prayer. Don't you? It's become your prayer. Maybe it's becoming your prayer right this moment. It's the prayer she prayed when she suddenly realized only Jesus, the tree of life, and the living water could ever satisfy her. It's such a beautiful, powerful, deep, rich, elegant prayer, yet it's so precious and so simple at the same time. Jesus, give me water. I'm tired of coming to this stupid well. Jesus, please give me living water. I don't want to drink the world's water anymore. It never quenches my thirst. I'm so tired of going to the well of the world to drink water that never satisfies. I don't want to go there anymore. Jesus, please give me your fruit from the tree of life. I don't have to waste time with the world's fruit anymore. And I know some of you are here today and you're very thirsty. You are thirsty for more than this life has given you, or ever will. I know some of you here have tried almost every morsel or every sip of every type of water the world has, and you're still not satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Can you relate to this hunger and thirst for righteousness? A life of abundance that this world will never be able to fulfill? Today, are you like the woman at the well where she met Jesus, weary of the daily search for water that never could quite fit the bill? Are you content with being like Adam and Eve who are discontent with what God has provided, hoping to be satisfied by the world's fruit and the world's polluted rivers. This morning, precious brothers and sisters, our resurrected Jesus is the tree of life. He is the river of living water. I invite you, let him satisfy your hunger. Let him quench your thirsty soul. Dear Jesus, we are a thirsty lot. <laughs> 
Every day, our hunger and our thirst drives our decisions. So often, we listen to the wrong hunger. We seek to quench the wrong thirst with the wrong things. But Lord, you know that you've been tempted in every way we have. It is so hard to stop going to that polluted, filthy well or that poisonous tree. Somehow, our feet just take us back there all the time. Jesus, we need help. Jesus, we're asking you to intervene in our desires. Because we as followers of you who are willing to follow you wherever we go, we know that the, what the world is offering will never satisfy us ever. Jesus, there are some here today who for the first time maybe are starting to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness instead of the world. Holy Spirit, fill them up. Give them the tree of life. Give them the living water. And Lord, when the enemy comes around and says, hey, you can have more, we'll be able to say, I'm okay with this water. I'm okay with this fruit. Lord, we confess to you, we've all tried the wrong fruit and drank the wrong water. But we're so thankful that you gave your, your life on the cross and you defeated the grave when you resurrected so that we could have forgiveness for that. And the tree of life's leaves bring us that healing that we need. And Lord, for those that are here today who maybe for the first time are hearing about this tree of life and this living water, Holy Spirit, we're just going to trust you to continue to call them and transform them. And for those of us, Lord, who you've already enlightened and shown the truth of the living water and the tree of life, Lord, continue to help us recognize that only you can satisfy. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church. Have a great Easter. We love you. We'll see you next week for Baptism Sunday. Two great Sundays in a row at Grace Life. Love you.